Welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast, where we discuss all things real estate, personal finance, investing, entrepreneurship, and the many ways to achieve financial independence. We interview accomplished investors and entrepreneurs with the goal that their stories inspire you to take control of your financial future. Here to get your creative juices flowing while also documenting their own personal investing journeys are your hosts, Corey Jacobson and Ryan Bevilacqua. Welcome back to the Weekly Juice. As always, it's your boys, Ryan and Corey here with another episode. Today, we brought back on one of our heavy hitter guests that we've had. Uh, we actually had him back on the show in episode 50 about two years ago. You guys know him as the host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, David Green. He is a real estate investor who owns multiple different businesses, including a lending brokerage, has a ton of short-term rentals, um, and just overall is a great mind in the real estate space. We had an awesome conversation with him talking about his new book that's out. And then also about the new mastermind that he created. This was more of a like a personal episode for David away from BP and and really got to talk about his mantra on health, wealth, uh, finance, and then also like personal finance in a way, like how to navigate um, before becoming a real estate investor, like how to get your financial house in order. And I think he did a great job articulating all that he has going on. And I mean, as always, after an episode with him, we were ready to run through a brick wall. Yeah, this it's like. David is such a real one that it almost can offend people. Like I hope like people that are listening to the episode, make sure that you are prepared to hear the truth. Like, and that's what David does. He tells the truth and he's extremely good at it. He's super articulate. He has great concise messages for people that are like, look, if you want to work hard, that is what it takes to succeed. And it's not just the work. It's all the things in the team that you put around it and rowing in the same direction. So he talks about his vulnerabilities in his business what has has worked, what hasn't worked. His book, the new book, Pillars of Wealth, How to Make, Save, and Invest Your Money to Achieve Financial Freedom. He kind of takes a step back from the real estate because he was saying that he has all these people reaching out to him that are like, I'm broke, I got nothing going for me. Uh, how do I buy rental properties and take myself to financial freedom? And David's like, nope, rewind. That's not what you need to do. Real estate is not going to save you. What you need to do is start at square one, build the foundation, get your financial house in order, as Rye said, but also like play offense, play defense, save, budget. And it's it's one of those episodes that can take you all the way back to the roots and make your foundation even stronger. Every time we have a conversation with David, he he kind of like slaps us in the face a little bit and wakes us up and is like, this is what you guys need to be doing to propel your business forward. And it all involves the work that goes into it, which I don't think Ryan and I are afraid of. We like the work, but it, it's it's a it's a wake up call when we talk. Yeah, it really is, and it, it makes you feel like you know. Some days you kind of feel like you're you're doing a lot, you're doing the most, but we're half the time you're really not doing even close to what other people are doing. And it's crazy to say because we know everything that we have on our plate. So he doesn't sugarcoat things. He tells it like it is. Um, there's no participation trophies on his shelf. So I think um, I mean we just amazing conversation. So without further ado, let's bring back in David Gray. When you have investment properties and tenants, you need a good system in place for collecting rent to make it easy as possible. And RentReady can help you with everything. When you sign up for RentReady, you can start adding your properties, inviting tenants, and creating charges. You can even set up automatic rent reminders and create auto late fees as well. For tenants, they can pay via ACH, card, or even cash using RentReady's web and mobile apps. They can also use an automatic payment setup and sign up for rent reporting so they get rewarded for paying rent on time. RentReady saves you time and hassle by automating rent collection and you can manage everything from one dashboard. 
For our Weekly Juice listeners, Rent Ready's given us a special 50% off for any Rent Ready plan using our code WEEKLYJUICE at RentReady.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com using the code WEEKLYJUICE. That's W-E-E-K-L-Y-J-U-I-C-E to save 50% off any Rent Ready plan. Real quick, everyone, if you've been enjoying the show, would you please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify? It helps boost us up in the rankings. And then also it helps us land high quality guests on the show to help provide a little bit more education for you guys. So we thoroughly enjoy doing this every single week for you. And we are trying to get over 250 reviews by the end of the year. We are well on our way. So with your help, please leave us a five-star today. David, officially welcome back to the Weekly Juice Podcast. Corey and I are so excited to have you back on the show, man. It's been, I think, about just over two years. We were we were young cherubs last time we had you on the show. We were up episode 175-ish now. But uh, we are so excited to have you back here, man, to share your story. And I know you have a lot of new ventures, so this is going to be a fun one today. Thanks for that. You guys, you could tell you had something going on. You had the juice. I remember telling you that back then to stick with it because it was going to work out. Looks like it has. You did tell us that after the episode. You're like, you know, you guys are kind of good at this. And I swear that was like, we got to keep going. David said it. We got to keep going. Honestly, sometimes it does take someone that you look up to to believe in you and uh, or just that one person. But it's funny. We we actually talked about this pre-recorded today. And uh, there was a couple of things you said. And I was like, All right. one was uh, I felt like we were maybe underdressed when we talked to you last time. So we went with the the mashing black tees, no hats, clean cut as, as best we can do. Yeah. And uh, but then also at the end, it was it was funny. You said, hey, guys, you, you know, you're pretty good at this thing. And you were, you know, co-host of the Bigger Box podcast. So we were jacked about that. And yeah. dude, it carried us through. So thanks for the compliment. And uh, I guess you're a little fire that kept us going. So, yeah, you guys have the chemistry and the energy. It's. There's a thing with podcasting that it used to be a big deal to say you had a podcast, just like it used to be a big deal to say you wrote a book because there was a barrier to entry. You had to get a publisher to put effort and money and investment into this book. Well, now everyone can publish a book. It's no big deal. You can literally have chat GPT, write your book, Amazon, publish it. It could be the most horrible thing ever. People can say they have a book. Well, people started figuring out that they'll have better luck with girls at bars if they say that they host a podcast and everybody started to do it. So not (laughs) everyone that does this is meant for it, but you guys are. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's not if you say you have a podcast, it's like you just get a bunch of eye rolls. Like, oh, God, you're one of those guys and you're talking about, like, God knows what. Like, I see podcasts all the time and I'm like, oh, man, it's another bro podcast. But we every mid, yeah, every mid 20s, early 30s year old dude has a podcast or just thought about one. But uh, yeah, we stuck through. So, uh, well, let's do this. Let's circle back. I know we had you back on episode 50 and you shared your whole story. But like I said, a lot of time has passed. I just catch us up for people that maybe it's their first time hearing about you or, or not knowing your story. Give us a little um, behind the scenes on who David Green is, how you became an entrepreneur, and then kind of a tease into all the adventures you have going on right now. So I'm the real estate investor. I own about $50 million worth of real estate. I've got a couple companies. The David Green team is a real estate sales team under Keller Williams. The One Brokerage is a mortgage company that I own. I run a mastermind called Spartan League. I've written six books now. And I'm the guy that is just like all your listeners. I still drive a Toyota Camry. I made my money working in restaurants and then being a cop. And then I became a real estate agent and I grew these companies from there. But I followed a very basic path. I mean, if like, as men go, I'm a basic businessman. I did not do anything incredibly catchy or cool or trendy. I just worked really hard at every job I had, earned the right to get the next step up and kind of did it one step at a time. And so now I influence people through online content and podcasts and book writing and, and try to encourage them to invest wisely in real estate. Uh, but I'm giving a perspective that anyone could follow. This is not, you got to be super smart or you got to have some 
some hack working on your advantage. You don't need a degree, but you do need to be intentional about what you do. So the book that I have coming out is called Pillars of Wealth, How to Make, Save, and Invest Your Money to Achieve Financial Freedom. And it focuses on those three pillars, making, saving, and investing. And I think too many people in our space are really good at getting eyeballs. They're really good at getting clicks and subscribers and getting their their content to go viral. And it's good for them. They make a buttload of money doing it, but none of the people following them are getting wealthy. And so I wrote this book for just the person who's tired of that, who's tired of feeling shame that they think that they must not deserve this or they're not good enough for it, who's tired of feeling like I got to bounce around from course to course to course to find the secret sauce and it doesn't work. This is just a blueprint everyone can follow when it focuses on getting good at saving your money and the skills and the framework that is required to do that because it doesn't just happen. Getting good at making money, which there's actually a science to that, an intentional process that you have to be willing to put yourself to, just like if you wanted to build your body, there'd be workouts you'd have to do and things you'd have to eat and a process that you'd have to follow and then investing the difference. You know, David, you were the one who taught us, taught me offense, defense as it relates, and we're sports guys. So, but as it relates to building wealth, saving, spread, making the spread between the, what you have and uh, and what you spend, and that, and that, I've I've taken that into a bunch of podcasts, and I've noticed as you talk on Bigger Pockets, for people who don't know that David's the host of the Bigger Pockets podcast with Rob Solo, um, who's and David's been doing it for has it been ten years at this point. Not quite that long, but we're getting pretty close, man. I've yeah. been doing it, I think, with BP for five years, and then I was writing books and stuff with them for probably three years before that. So yeah, close to ten years in the, yeah. as in the space. I just hear, I just you know remember hearing your, or still do. I listen to it, hear your uh, voice, you know, every week. So I, I, one of the things that I want to touch on is that you have this. What you've been talking about recently is people that need to maybe hold on to their jobs now in twenty twenty three, not go after this full-fledged financial freedom because it's so much harder to buy real estate, still doable, right? But so much harder to buy real estate in 2023 than in 2013 or 2014, where you could potentially buy 12 duplexes and you'd have $5,000 a month and you might be in good shape. Now with inflation and and just uncertainty, you talk a lot about keeping your job. Can you, can you talk about that defensive aspect and why you feel like it's important for people to maybe not just sprint towards financial freedom as we head into the back half of 2023 and 2024? Yeah, that sentiment became popular for a couple of reasons. One was we've had the strongest economy in the last 10 years of maybe ever because we've just printed stupid amounts of money. It hasn't been real growth. It's been the equivalent of taking a bunch of methamphetamine and you feel all this energy. It's not normal to do that to a human being who's like, I could stay awake for four days in a row. That's what our economy has been like. You, It was hard to fail, to be frank, because of the way that the government handled uh, COVID and some other issues where we just made the economy really pumped up from printing money. It's also popular on social media to sell people a dream and not a reality. So Brandon Turner has the sentence that nobody wants a drill, they want a hole. You don't want a drill, you just need a hole. The drill's how you get there. So what influencers have learned is that they sell you on a dream life as opposed to what it actually takes to get there, you're way more likely to give them your money than if they tell you the truth. Okay, so I, I draw fitness parallels all the time because I'm dealing with people that are objecting to what I'm saying. They don't want their dream shattered. They've still got this idea that if they just keep making those calls, they're going to make a hundred grand on a wholesale and they're going to do that every month and they're going to make 1.2 million a year and then it doesn't happen. So in, in fitness, it's easy to get people to sign up for your course or buy your videos or join your gym or whatever if you show the most jacked person there and say, you can look like them if you just come here. Yet we all go to the gym all the time. The gym is full of people. How many of them look like that person? 
hardly ever. And then usually you find out that that person themselves are a combination of a genetic freak that's on steroids. It is not a thing that, that, that you just happen to look like that. Now, will you look better than how you do now if you work out all the time? Yes. Is it better that you do it than if you don't? Yes, but it's not realistic you're going to look like them. The whole idea of buy some real estate, quit your job, never work again, have passive income. There's a tiny, tiny sliver of genetic freaks on steroids that can make that happen. Those are the people you see on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube, or if we're being honest, a lot of those people are lying too. They're making their money from the courses that they're selling, not from the actual real estate. And that's not what you're getting told. It is you funding their lifestyle, not their real estate that's funding it. There's a lot of lies, a deception might be a nicer way to say it, that goes on in our space. And I'm not here to throw shade at any of those individuals. People need to decide for themselves who they're going to give their money to and who they're going to follow. But I will say, I don't know anybody who's actually doing really well financially in the real estate space that isn't still working. They all still have companies, have jobs. Are they doing the same thing they did at first? No, it's better. They're making more money. They have better tax benefits. They have a better life, but they are still working. They're still growing. They are still overseeing their portfolio. It has not become completely passive. So I think the vast majority of people that are pursuing a real estate portfolio, even if they're having success, shouldn't just quit their job to do it. They don't need to. You can do this while having a job. I think for the vast majority of people, the better advice is be better at your job. Work harder than all your other coworkers, right? Ask your boss for a raise, take on more responsibility, get so good that either they have to pay you more money or you get bored at that job and you go take one that pays more with more opportunity and more growth and more potential to earn wealth. And you won't feel bad about it or you won't feel like you're unprepared because you've earned the right to get there and just do that while you're investing in real estate. Totally. One thing I know that I've learned about you is that you've talked about if you're going to, you're never going to be able to sit on a beach forever and just like give it all up and, because the amount of effort and energy that it took to get there requires a certain amount of sustainability, right? So mm-hmm. I know that you love podcasting and I know that you love running businesses or you wouldn't continue to do it because you probably have enough money to do something that's not that and chill, right? So mm-hmm. I, I'm curious about the thought of doing something that you love and how do you get to that area of doing something that you love and maybe even if it's not love that you like genuinely enjoy doing because you know there's just this new thing that comes up this new goal and it's hard to stop that and i found that in our life like okay even if i do hit this financial freedom even if we do make a million dollars even like what am i going to fill my days with right so i feel like that goes back into my previous question a little bit just maybe more a little bit deeper like how do you feel like people can get to something that they enjoy doing, knowing that financial freedom is just going to be another carrot that's dangled in front of them. Well, first off, you could think you have enough money, but you could lose money in real estate too. And that doesn't get talked about. You don't hear the people talk about their L's. They're only going to share like the HGTV, you know, the house was bought for this, rehab for that, sold for this. Here's their profit. There's a lot that doesn't go into that. And there's also times where you lose money. So if you want to own a big real estate portfolio, which I think people should, You also need to understand that there will be seasons where you're taking big haircuts. Okay, think about all the multifamily operators in the last five years that went and bought something. Let's say they crushed it. They they increased their NOI by 30% on that thing. They've done an amazing job and now their balloon payment is coming up and they have to go refinance it and rates went from 3% to 9%. Cap rates have expanded so much. Like they did nothing wrong, but the market worked against them. And even if you have a property that's cash flowing quite a bit, you could lose it to foreclosure or you could sell it at a huge loss because of the way that the financing is structured. 
That happens in real estate. You cannot predict every single thing that's going to go wrong. You're going to have tenants that leave. You're going to have like, look what's happening in New York City. There's been people that built a short-term rental portfolio or business that's been crushing it out of nowhere. The city says, nope, no more. That's not fair to them, but that's going to happen in our space. So you, you take whatever money you think you need and probably amplify it by three or four because these things are going to happen. Now, to your question, which I really like, is how do you find yourself doing the work that you enjoy? That is a attainable goal, not I'm never going to work. Okay, how do I get out of the stuff that I hate doing? The first step is you got to become a business owner. If you work for somebody else, there is a chance that you could get a promotion that you don't have to do the work you don't enjoy. It's harder because you have less control, but it could happen. But if you're a business owner, everything is your job and you get to choose what you delegate and what you do, right? There's certain people that enjoy aspects of their business. Maybe they love bookkeeping. Could they contract that out and delegate it? They could, but they like it. So why? It's You're filling your day with something that you enjoy. When you're a business owner, you get to make those choices. And so I would say the majority of people who are doing good financially, but they hate their job, don't rely on cash flow from real estate to quit it because it's just too shaky. But starting a business and having cash flow and having reserves, now you've got like three different sources of income here that can protect you. You are much more likely to be successful and starting a business can be exciting because it's always requiring new ways to grow. Totally. And I feel like our business over the last like three, four years, call it, it's morphed into so many different things and different arms spread out. And then you start realizing what you like, what you don't like, what feels light, what feels heavy. And then, you know, you go to delegating, right? I think one of the things for us, and I'm sure as you scaled your multiple businesses, this came into play for you is like, you hit the point where you're like, we're making a decent amount of money coming in, but you're not sure where you should allocate it for the delegation. You're like, listen, if I keep doing this myself, it's, it'll be done great but it's going to take a lot of my time. Then I can't work on the business. I'm in the business. So is there maybe any tips you have for um, when you hit that impasse, like how you go about delegating and finding the right person to fill in? Like, for example, just to give you candidly, like our background, and it's just Corey and I running the show. Like we've done the VA thing, didn't like it. We brought it back in house and it's taking a lot of our time. So we're at the point where we got some dollars coming in from other places. And we're like, listen, like A, we handle the bookkeeping, no problem. It's more so for the the basic A to B tasks, like, hey, like send out the guest guide for the podcast. Hey, um, write the thank you email. Like there's a lot of automations in there, but almost like an assistant kind of role. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you hit that at some point and you were like maybe some guidance on how some people that are still relatively new could handle it. Best piece of advice I give you on that is when you're failing, don't think you're the only one failing. Okay. Like we, I'm telling you what gets shown on social media, on the podcast, from the speaker on the stage here's my revenue. Here's my org chart. Here's my systems. I got it. I know these people. I talk to them behind the scenes. It's a major blank show. Okay. Like <laughs> everyone is struggling to find a halfway decent employee who gives two F's basically. Yes. It's incredibly hard, right? Like we'll do this, we'll hire someone and they'll say, okay, like this is what I'm being hired to do. They ask for a job description. What do you want me to do? What that usually means, if you look at the spirit of that, is what are the things that I'm allowed to say no to or give a half-hearted effort on because they don't want to do it, right? Do we need job descriptions if we just look at this philosophically? Okay, you work for the company, you do what the company needs. That's not crazy because that's what you guys are doing. You don't get to say, what's my job description? Like, we're trying to make a podcast. What do we have to do to make it? We're going to send out these email templates, right? Well, you're going to try to hire a person to do some of those things for you. It shouldn't be so hard to find people that will do it even close to what you guys are doing it. The reason it's hard is we've got this virus 
in American culture that tells us we shouldn't have to work. There's resentment that work is involved at all. Even though the email is doing all the heavy lifting, you guys have already created systems. They just have to follow something that you guys do all the time. It's somewhat mindless. They'll still find a way to say, that's not my job. I wasn't clear what I was supposed to do. I didn't know I was supposed to do it. And that's one of the reasons I wrote this book is I went through the ranks of being a sandwich maker and then working in a restaurant and then a better restaurant and then a deputy and then a police officer, then a real estate agent and then running a team and then having these businesses. And at every step, I was able to get to the next one because I just outworked everyone around me. I just said, I want to be the best person at what I'm doing. And I found that all of these are different jobs, right? I just grabbed 15 different jobs, but none of it required being a rocket scientist. It was just, do I care? Am I going to try? And what I found is that the majority of my coworkers didn't care at all. They were showing up every day with the goal of how do I do the least work possible and get the most money possible? That was literally their goal, okay? And you would even hear people brag about this. Oh, I worked a whole day. I didn't have to do anything. And I started asking myself, what if you went to the gym and you were there for eight hours and you left and you were bragging, I was at the gym eight hours and I have to lift even one weight. Can you believe it? Like we would think that person's a fool, but yet when it happens in the workplace, we treat it like they're smart, like they've done something to be envious of. And what we're really robbing is ourselves because every day is an opportunity for you to get smarter, to get more valuable, to learn more skills to have more to bring to the marketplace. And when you understand that that is what brings money, much like resistance from weight is what brings strength, it starts to become something you should be embarrassed about saying that you don't work hard or that's not my job or I don't have to do that. We should all be leaving work every day saying, did I give it everything I had today? Could I have given a little bit more on that last set? Could I have gotten a little bit more exercise in on whatever thing is like you guys said, you're athletes. Like when you get done with the game, you'd ask yourself the question, did I go hard on every play? Was I not mentally focused? And usually you'd find something you could improve in and then you'd go do better. The reason every business struggles to do what you guys are saying has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the ethics of the people that were hiring to work in the business and the belief that they just should get money. Much like if you were a coach and you had people on your team and their goal was like, how do I get playing time without sweating? Can you imagine how hard it would be to coach a team if the players said, if you're breathing hard, you're stupid. I mean, there should be a smarter, easier way to win in a game without having to put out effort. We bring that same attitude to our workplace all the time. So for those of us that are living like that, you should not be surprised you're broke. If you're eating that way and if you're working out that way, don't be shocked at the body you have. It's no one else's fault. Well, finances follows a very similar path to fitness. The principles work the same. In both. And the only way that you guys are going to overcome that obstacle, which I have in every business I own, this is I think about this way more than I think about the ideas, the education. I mean, getting good at what I do, that's the easy part. Getting people that I can hire that have that same passion, I can only go as high as them, right? You like you see sports teams, they can get one really good player in their team, but can they fill them out with a bunch of role players that'll still work really hard? Incredibly difficult to do. Now, the good news is if you're hearing this and you're agreeing with it, you are in the position to become the MVP. No one's stopping you. No one's competing with you. There's no defender in business. It's like, I don't want you to do well. Your boss is dying for you to come in and just half-heartedly give a decent effort. You guys would have probably already promoted to someone to like director of podcast operations and given them a raise and the company would be making more revenue. The company would be paying for the money that they want. 
you guys would have more opportunities to make more money. You could then pay them more. They could have their own assistance. If you had anyone that came in there and tried as opposed to, all right, I'm taking this job and the VA finds different excuses every day for why they didn't do what you wanted them to do. Yeah, I do. There is, there is a lot there, but I appreciate that. It, it's, I like the sentiment, you know, kind of like, uh, you almost explained it like a virus and like, it, it's, it's so interesting because I see this in my W2 job and we see this everywhere else. It's like people do have the want to work the least amount to get paid the most amount. And it's so interesting. Maybe it's just because it's our baby, right? And in these businesses, your baby, I don't know if it's like all, maybe all of us three intrinsically, like we're just super motivated and, and we have this fire in us that like, I just want to be better. I want to win the game, but the game, there's no end to the game. That's the hard part. So you keep going and going and going, but these new facets of the business evolve over time and they keep coming in and then it just becomes us too. And we're like, we're at capacity, right? Your bandwidth hits this point where you're like, where do we focus our energy and all of this? So I think I, I say this to to bring up the conversation and kind of tie it back to what we talked about at the beginning. I know you have the book and I know you have the uh, Spartan Lake and it's it's basically these two, I see them working in tandem. I re once read this book called I'll Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit Sethi and it really, it was like a six week program that really taught people how to get their money right and put automations and systems into play like we put automations and systems into our business. Now, everyone reaches out to us all the time and says, hey dude, see what you guys are doing, love the podcast, I want to be a real estate investor. And they don't have anything going on right in their lives yes. before trying to get into this. And so I think this, my first thing is like, hey, whoa, you got to pump the brakes. I give them that book. I go, get your money right first, come back to me when you have 50 grand saved up and you have all your systems put into place. And then we can talk about potentially educating you on real estate and going further. It's like, I don't, I, don't, I think people, and I'm not, forgive me if we've talked about this in the beginning of the episode, but I know we touched on it at one point is like, People always want the end goal and they see this like end of the rainbow, the pot, the pot of gold, and they don't want to actually like run towards it and take the steps that it takes every day because online people are only seeing the cars, the house, the freedom to do whatever you want, but they don't see the sweat, blood and tears that goes into it and the strategies and systems that we have to put into place every single day to work the 16 hours. So I know that was a lot there, but let's talk about Spartan League and talk about the book and how they play together and how you put people in the right places to you know, kind of help position this thing to help people elevate along the way so they don't skip steps. So hold your thought on that because that's a very good question. But I want to add something to what you said where people don't want to do the work, all right? Your listeners have heard people complain about this for forever, since I was a little kid, right? I've been hearing, oh, this young generation, they don't want to work. They want it all for free. It can't be that nobody ever wants to work, right? I tend to take the approach, I'm not super concerned if you're conservative or if you're a liberal, but I am very interested in why. What made you think that was the better path? Why is that appealing to you, right? I think about the same thing from this perspective of why don't people work hard? Why can't we get people to just put a tiny effort into what they're doing? And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we are getting most of our guidance and our mentorship, not from parents or role models, but from social media. Mm -hmm. We're listening to podcasts like this. We're going on YouTube. We're watching Instagram and TikTok, Okay. If, if I made a video with a pudgy person who consistently goes to the gym, they're that person that looks like they lift weights, but they didn't turn down a cookie, right? <laughs> and you're like, man, that person looks pretty strong, right? Does that make you think I want to follow them all the time versus the gorgeous, no fat on their body, perfectly proportioned genetic freak? Which one are you going to follow? B, totally. You're going to follow the second one, right? So then if your metrics as the person making this content are to get as many subscribers as you can, is your brain going to go to, how do I help the average person get more fit? Or is your brain going to go to, 
how do I get the tightest shorts I can with the crack up the butt and a third of my butt cheek showing and do squats at just the right angle to get everyone to follow me? Right? Point. Yes. Really so you point. start seeing this all the time. You're constantly, that's the thing that you're told you're supposed to go for. And you get further and further away from reality because most people could work out seven days a week and they will never look like that girl. Or they will never look like that dude that shoulders are four times as big as what his waist is. Like, it doesn't mean that they shouldn't work out. That is not realistic. One of our first problems is that we are idolizing those examples. Okay. The Grant Cardone, you know, whatever the person is that like, I drive a Bugatti and a Lamborghini and a Ferrari and I don't have to work at all. And here I am surrounded by pretty girls at a beach. And you think in your head, that's what life is supposed to be. So then you show up at your job, whatever that is, right? Cleaning things or driving a truck or working in a warehouse. And in your mind, you're like, yeah, I shouldn't even have to be here. You don't think I should work out hard because you don't, it's not what it looked like when you were on social media. Another thing is that there's this like philosophy that I was taught a lot when I was a little kid. I'm like, what should I do? Well, what's your dream? What makes you feel fulfilled? What makes you come alive? Cal Newport talks about this in his book, uh, So Good They Can't Ignore You. That's a virus that a lot of us got that what you get fulfillment in life should be the same thing that you go to work every day to do to make money, which is a preposterous thought if you rewind a thousand years in history. Like you just wanted to stay alive. What am I competent at that I can do so that I don't die, I don't starve, and my family can be taken care of? Okay. And if you did it good enough, you earn the right to have some of these luxuries and maybe like you said earlier, do the things in your business that you like. But there's nothing that says it's supposed to work that way that life owes you that. But it is these little philosophies that have snuck in. And I don't think the listeners or the people that suffer from this, like me included, we didn't purposely know that we were being sold this. It was just presented to us like it's normal, right? And this book is sort of a deconstructing of that. Do you realize that there are marketers, that there are advertisers, who are way smarter than you, whose full-time job and passion is to figure out how to trick you into giving them your money. That is all they do. There's an example I put in the book about Cinnabon. You guys ever walk by a Cinnabon in the mall? Oh, yeah. yeah I walk away from it, but yes. You have to, <laughs> right? Because what happens if you get too close? What, what is it? If it smells it's amazing, what does it smell? Sucked into the vortex. It's sleeping. And you want it, right? Did you want the cinnamon bun before you smelled it? No. No. Are you ever happy with yourself after you get said cinnamon bun? Immediate regret. When it's done, absolutely not. Yes. <laughs> no. Immediate regret. Immediate regret, shame, horrible. Why did I eat that? You feel sick. Now you skip your workout because you're bloated. It's a terrible choice, but yet you are hammered by this compulsion to get the cinnamon roll the minute you smell it. Cinnamon bun does that on purpose. They're, they're, uh, they're, one of their leaders talks about how they set this up on purpose. Commercials work the same way. We're in a war every day that we don't even realize we're in. And you lose every fight that you don't know that you're in. If one team knows they're competing and the other team thinks this is just for fun and no one's keeping score, the competing team is going to win every single time. So part of this is just understanding there's a platform that we all operate under mentally that is working against us when it comes to building wealth. And we've adopted the worst habits and the worst ideas. And we don't even know that's the case. What I, what I will say, David, the good thing about all of this, because it sounds bleak, but the reality is, is that the consistent work and steps that you can take to removing yourself from that mindset, then that snowballs for you. And I've, saw, I've seen it in my own life. And, and for example, when you said Cinnabon, I was like, I don't even, like, that doesn't even affect me anymore because I don't think about eating it. Like, I don't even, now, you know, 
I was never like out of shape, but I'm in, I feel like I'm in some of the best shape I've ever been in because I'm like, I'm not going to eat bread. I'm not going to yep. eat dairy. I'm not, I'm barely going to drink, you know, a couple times a month, maybe. And like, it works like, oh, oh my God, it works. I go to the gym four days a week. Like this isn't about me. The point is, is that if you take yourself and you push yourself into a disciplined mode and you just keep doing that, the things and the distractions, they really will fall further away. And I think that's probably what happens or what you're talking about in your book is that exactly what it is. Yes. So what I teach the people to do in Spartan League and in this book is once you start tracking where your money goes, it's incredibly difficult. You're used to spending it on whatever you want to spend it on or not even thinking about what you spend your money on. You don't realize you're in a current if you're floating down the river until you put your foot down in the riverbed and then you feel that pressure. You don't realize how you're spending your money on dumb things until you say, I'm only going to spend it on this. And then you feel that pressure. The same is true when you're going to try to make more money. You don't realize how entitled and lazy and uh, how little of a role you played in that whole business was until you start saying, I want to do more or until you start your own company. You're like, oh my God, I, you frequently see the people at McDonald's. I'm the only one that works around here because they stand at the computer and they push the button, right? Even the people within the McDonald's building are doing a tiny percentage of the, of the work. Like those of us that have businesses know that lead generation, getting the customer to show up is way bigger than servicing the people that have already come, right? We're, we just don't understand what it's like. But after years of living by a discipline, but not even years, right? Maybe just months of living by a disciplined budget of saying, this is the workout I'm going to go do and tracking your workouts, tracking how much income you made and what you can do to make more. It stops being hard because it becomes a habit. You don't have to turn down cinnamon and bun anymore. You don't have to like feel bad about not eating carbs. You went through the fog of like, oh, I feel sick all the time. You don't want it. You don't even probably need to track your macros as much because you just don't eat the wrong foods and your body adjusts to it. You will find the same habits will take place in your wealth building journey once you've stuck to this process for enough time. Love it. That's it's it's like anything in life. And that's why I love the the relationship that you just made. It really is like anything. The discipline, it sounds it sounds good, but then when you get in it, it really does work. So I love that. I want to transition quick. I know I touched on it briefly before, but let's talk Spartan League. I see the shirt. I see the cap for the mic. Sweet logo. Um, is this a new venture for you? Is it a mastermind? Can you tell us what it is and then kind of who it's for? Yeah. Thank you for asking that. When I was writing this book, which was the hardest book I've ever written, it was incredibly hard to write it. I came up with this example of how in the 90s, exercise was touted like it's supposed to be easy. So I was a kid, I was born in the 80s, and I remember seeing these like the thigh master, the ab roller, the butt cruncher, whatever it was. And it was like, from the convenience of your own home, you can do exercise that's easy and look really good. And you see the model smiling as they just like did this stupid little thing. And nobody looked good back then. And then CrossFit came out. And you started to see people looking like Jack Beasts. But then you look at what CrossFit people do, and you're like, this is insane. The only way that they get these people to show up every day and go through it is they create a cult. You get this, my identities in CrossFit. It's all you talk about. All your friends are in CrossFit. You're tracking everything you do. It's amazing for your fitness, but it is so hard. You will not stick with it unless you've got a community, right? I was trying to figure out this finance thing, the real way people build wealth is very hard. Once people start making money, they want to spend a lot of it. People don't want to work hard until they get paid. There's this element of, well, I'll play hard when the coach puts me in the game, but I'm not going to play hard if I'm not getting playing time. It's very difficult. It's like an uphill battle to fight against your nature that's trying to keep you a loser. 
So I realized I need some kind of community element like what CrossFit did to keep people encouraged and on this goal. And I thought about the Spartans. What I loved about the Spartans was uh, in the movie 300, they talk about every soldier fights for the one next to him. So they had their offensive weapon, which was a shield, uh, spear. Then they had their defensive weapon, which was a shield. But if you two were in the Spartan army, you're, you would have your spear in one hand and your shield in the other would be protecting the person next to you. You're not guarding yourself. You're guarding them. So kind of like a team, everybody has to function as a unit. You're responsible for the success of the person next to you. And I wanted to create that same ethos, which is why I called it Spartan League. And how we have the members all looking out for each other. So if somebody figures out a credit card that will get them extra mileage or extra cash back, they're sharing it with everybody else. If somebody figures out a, a hack to save on their food and they, they stop at a certain grocery store, they share that with everybody else so they can play better defense. And the goal is to create this all-inclusive, holistic environment where we focus on defense so they get a spreadsheet they have to fill out. They have to put mint or rocket money on their phone and track where their money's going. And then offense, where they're tracking how much money they make every month. You actually have to put that in. I made this much money this month versus last month. And did my savings go up by the appropriate amount? Or did I spend more money because I did it? And then the third pillar, which is in investing, is sort of uh, every day there's at least one call where we have an instructor come in and teach on some topic of real estate investing. It could be house flipping, construction, short-term rental analysis, self-management, the Burr method, long-distance investing, choosing locations. There's all these different topics, but you're in a community where your just brain is thinking this all the time. And I think that's what it takes to be successful in today's world because the minute you get out of that, you got TV that's trying to take your money away from you. You got family members that are asking you why you're doing so much. You got Ty Lopez on Instagram telling you that you need to have a Ferrari like he had. Like, There's so many things that are trying to distract you. Yeah, I, I really think that's important. So we briefly touched on this earlier pre-recording, but we, we were in a couple of masterminds and that was a goal for us this year. And it was like, hey, we're going to sign up for one and just try it because everyone says surround yourself with the people you want to be like and you elevate to their level. So we tried one and it was awesome. We love one of the gentlemen that actually got us in. We we purely took the plunge because of him and he's amazing. But we realized we're going through it. There's so many different pillars within it. And it was like family, health, wealth, all that. And we realized like our bit, we had a lot of the buckets checked and we really wanted to focus narrowly on one specific thing. And I know there's so many of them out there. So we decided to to kind of make a pivot more recently. We're looking at like every facet of our business, like where do we want to drive moving forward? And specifically, instead of like, hey, potentially buying a small business or scaling, scaling X type of business, we are specifically narrowing in on real estate investing, specifically on uh, multifamily. And then also how do we transform our podcast into a almost like a coaching platform as well right so there's like it's all synergized whereas a couple of different masterminds that you might be in there's always something going on all over the place and when you have people flowing in one direction all talking about the same thing as you mentioned like this mini cult if you will you don't need a million bodies in there you need maybe like 20 to 50 even less maybe like-minded people with passion grit and determination but also that are looking out for each other, as you mentioned with the shield, right? It's like, you don't, it's not a competition. You're trying to win together. So I really like that. And 
it brings me to back to your mastermind, which I, I really appreciate. It's like for us, we we tried it and we got into one and we were like, listen, like this now we know how to pivot and what we're looking for. So moving forward for 2024, we're we're likely gonna pursue another one, but specifically focused in a single lane. And I really like that yours is all encompassing, but you know everybody that gets in the room is gonna be looking forward to very similar goals. So that way there's synergy and you can all attack something together, which is important. Yeah, and it's that understanding that I'm not gonna teach you information and then tell you that if you know this, you're gonna go become rich. That's what bugs me about the gurus that are out there. Maybe they're really smart and they are gonna teach you a certain topic that is good information, but if you don't have a skill set to apply it, it doesn't matter, right? Like you could have a wide receiver teach you. Jerry Rice could teach you how to run routes. Are you gonna make any money with that? There's a handful of people in the world that can go actually take that information and be useful, right? Totally. But if NFL players were like, hey, I made this much money in the NFL and I'm going to teach you how to do the same thing, we would laugh. But real estate investors will do it. And we just, oh, everyone can invest in real estate. No, not everyone can. There's a skill set that goes into this. And there's a reason some people make it and some people don't. I agree the, with that. The Spartan thing is like building your arm. The, the thing is like building your shield, building your armor, like building you you as the person the, with the, that person that has the ability to go do the thing, not chase the shiny object and not yeah. build the skill set to be able to withstand all the shit that comes with when you get there, you know? And I think I heard a quote recently that was saying like, really the, the thing that entrepreneurs need to be able to do is just be able to not just solve problems, but handle all the shit that comes when the good times come. Like all yeah. the shit that you have to bounce off of, the resilience really is what it comes down to. Like, are you resilient enough to handle all the good because the bad is, is trying to get you every day? So anyway, I, I, I love the mastermind. I think it's great. I know you mentioned pre-recording your like launch, like you're ready to go with it. So we're excited to hear it. Um, did you have something else? Within that too, it's it's just one more nuance I want to talk about is too within masterminds. And I just want to tell people for people that are not in it, right? They're like a lot of them are structured very similarly, where you go in and there's a guest speaker and you hear them talk and they're like, Hey, here's how to invest in real estate or here's how to go do this. And then you're like, Okay, cool. I feel like I got like a 30 to a minute to an hour literally tiny tiny course but i don't exactly know how to go do it so it's really important to mention that your crew you have a team member in place that works within your team that you've hired you've coached that can really handhold people the way to go it's like cool we had this webinar i taught you on um how to buy let's call it the burr method or how to buy your first rental then it's like okay cool here's the first step in going to buy a rental. go do it tomorrow and report back to me and then you can kind of guide people through and like this thing is not a a very get rich quick scheme. Real estate takes time, energy, effort, and it takes building a team. And I think people are like, oh man, I'll just spend 500 bucks a month getting a mastermind, I'll learn how to do it. It's far from that. You gotta go read the books, you gotta go on YouTube, you gotta work with other people and then spend the time taking the notes and everything and putting it into action. So just a couple of nuances there, but uh, it's not just, hey, throw your money at something and you're automatically gonna become rich and learn everything in, in a six month span. It takes you to doing it, not showing up to a Zoom class every so often. So totally. Yeah. And my theory is that if you're trying to get a job that pays more, you're trying to get a raise, you're trying to start a business. I, I want you to do that. Okay. If I put 500 pounds on the chest press and said, Hey, or the bench press. And I said, Hey, I want you to lift this. Would you guys immediately lift it and be strong? Like the buff people that can do it or what would happen? No, Breaking if, if Ryan and I laid next to each other, we could potentially lift five together. <laughs> that would <laughs> be the only chance. <laughs> tandem vets pressing, right? It would, it would crash your rib cage is what would happen, okay? Like, wealth works like that, too. The money flows to the people that have the skills and the strength to know what to do to bring value to the marketplace, okay? If you said, 
I want to be like the guy that flips 100 houses a year. That's the same as saying I want to bench press 500 pounds. You aren't just going to be given 100 houses and do well. You would It would break you. You'd lose everything if that happened. You have to build yourself up into the person that can do it. That is how everything in life works. We understand it in the military. We understand it in the sports realm. We understand it in fitness. We understand it in like relationships. You don't meet somebody and propose and you have the perfect relationship because you just met them. It is a building process. It's not passive. You don't work really hard to get a girlfriend and then never work again and she stays in love with you, okay? Real estate is not different than those things. So I'm just passionate about telling people, if you want more, I want you to want more. Are you doing the best you can where you're at? Because if you're not, if we give you more, it's going to crush you. You have to build up the skills with where you are. And then the next opportunity will make itself known. And you go there and you build up the skills there. You add five pounds to the bar every single time you could do more than eight reps. I got nine. I got 10. Okay, great. We need to add some weight. It's hard again. Yep. We're starting over. You only got six. You're going to build right back up to that. That is a boring process that is very predictable, but you will get stronger. Wealth works the same way. Yep. So David, I mean, you have the blueprint, right? And and it's it's not easy. Uh, you do, you're somebody that doesn't sugarcoat things. And that's what I like about you. It's like, this is the necessary things you need to do, but I have a plan and you can do it. So I love that. I, but on a side note here, you also are, I'll, I'll say you are a brilliant real estate investor. You may not call yourself that, but I've, I've seen it over the years. I've seen what you've done with your portfolio, with the partnerships you've made, how, how you articulate yourself on bigger pockets. I think it's amazing. I want to get your take on 2023 into 2024 and what you're seeing, because I think for people that are listening, they're like, they're probably all, they've probably already ran through three brick walls. They're ready to sign up for Spartan. <laughs> they're like, they're ready, but also there's actionable things that I'm curious to see if we can pull from you. So you mentioned previously about, I've watched Dallas ban Airbnbs. And as I've looked further yeah. into that, it's actually not, it's not exactly what the headlines say, right? So it, there's still some areas you can do it. I thought it was full banning. You see New York's banning Airbnbs. We have a short-term rental hospitality business that we own. I have a place in Tampa, Florida that's crushing. I couldn't imagine it. I can't believe how well it's doing, right? So we're in different areas in the market. I looked at New York as kind of always a hotel-driven market, so that doesn't really surprise me that much. Also based on some politics in New York. I'm curious what your take is. I know you have Airbnbs in Scottsdale, maybe other places that I'm unaware of. Do you think that there's going to be this Kiyosaki crash that he talks about? Like, <laughs> What do you think is going to happen with the Airbnb market, are you still buying them? I know I threw a lot at you, but like, I'm genuinely curious for somebody who's been doing it as long as you have. I could talk about the Airbnb market. I could also talk about the real estate market as a whole, right? Yeah, That's I think because... both. Like, I'm curious what your yeah, what your thoughts. Short-term rentals are sort of a niche within real estate, right? And they become so popular because what people really want is cash flow. That's it. People are just chasing after yield right now. And as it dried up in traditional real estate, because prices kept going up, interest rates kept going up, but rents couldn't keep pace, then they move into a new asset class like short-term rentals. Now everybody's in the Airbnb space. Well, that's starting to get dried up. What we're seeing is way too much demand for real estate, not enough supply. That is why we're seeing this like really low spreads. So the funny thing is I keep hearing people, they just interpret it wrong. They keep saying, hey, there's no cash flow. At some point, these prices got to come down so that we can get cash flow. And I see it completely different. I'm like, yeah, there's no cash flow because all the demand is pushing up the damn prices. There's too many people that want this asset class. Now let's take a step back and ask why. All right, you've got some money. Where are you guys going to put your money if it's not real estate? Give me no something. Just like, just, just I mean, throw something out there. What? Yes, the stock market. If we're stocks. There you go. 
is that do you feel really safe putting your money in stocks right now no i think we're going all in on real estate because of what you just said there you go yeah. stocks are not safe and they're probably not keeping pace with inflation inflation is probably realistically somewhere closer to 15 to 20 percent than the seven percent measured by the cpi because a lot of things that go up in value are not in the cpi right you look at the cost of vehicles food gasoline energy travel all of this is way more expensive than the seven percent that we see that the government's going to be releasing right so stocks are out what about bonds well we saw what happened with silicon valley bank they bought a bunch of bonds which should be the safest investment ever it's like you od'd from eating too much broccoli we all made fun <laughs> of great. silicon valley bank like well they're idiots why would they do that is there a safer move to make than buying a bunch of bonds like that should never lead to bankruptcy that happened because we raised rates so fast that the inflation is higher than what you can earn on a lot of these investment vehicles. Put a CD in the bank, not as much as inflation. Pretty much real estate's the only thing left that can beat inflation. Then when you couple it with tax benefits and the fact that you can leverage it, it becomes far and away the best option. But it isn't as good as it was five years ago or 10 years ago, so we all complain. And people keep saying prices need to come down. I don't think they're going to. I don't have a crystal ball, I'll say that. Like yeah. Something could make them come down. We could go to war. There could be a terrible, you know, pandemic again. Like, I'm not saying they can't come down, but they're not going to just normally because there's nowhere else to put your money. So when you're asking about this crash Kiyosaki keeps talking about, I don't think we're going to have it because I think the government will just print more money. And I don't mean that to be that's good. I'm not like, oh, we can avoid a crash. There's it's going to be terrible when it catches up with us. I think we are more likely to see the dollar become worthless and the economy as a whole become affected than seeing a crash in asset prices. We'll just keep printing more money. So the example that I give is if you look at a human being that's awake for 16 hours a day, then they need to sleep for eight hours a day. If you measure the human being like you measure the economy and you're only measuring how productive that person is, are they productive during the eight hours of time that they're sleeping? No, no. No, it's they, it's not. But isn't it also needed, right? That's where your body rebuilds. All of the uh, cells that died throughout the day get flushed out. If you don't get that sleep, you're not going to perform better for the next 16 hours. So you have to have times of down in order to have times of up. Economies are the same way. You have a period of time where it's really good, and then you need a recession to come in and wipe out all the bad businesses, the bad leaders, the bad ideas. They all get flushed out. New ones come, we have another run. This is a normal thing that has happened within the world and economies for hundreds of years. At some point, our politicians decided it was unacceptable to have any kind of a recession. We have to prevent it. It would be the same as if you had a boss that said, hey, I can't have my employee not working. I'm going to shoot them full of meth so that they can keep working. And you know what the, the thing about meth is? You can work for a really long time and not sleep when you take that. You can be more productive, Okay. But is that healthy for you? No, eventually you'll die. Really. That's it. Eventually you will die and you'll get zero productivity. That is what my fear is of what we're doing to our currency. We keep injecting the economy with stimulus that makes the dollars worth less and less and less. That is why we keep seeing the prices of everything go up, even though they're raising rates, because there's too much of the damn currency going around. Now, if you own real estate, that's great because real estate becomes worth more. But like we said earlier, it's one of the reasons you really can't quit your job and retire because that money that you're making becomes less and less and less as inflation eats away on it. We're sort of stuck in this position where you got to keep working and you have to keep investing just to stay even. 
we're not even really becoming wealthy. Like being a millionaire, I don't mean this, I don't want to sound like I have wealth privilege, okay? Like it's an accomplishment. It is not what it was 20 years ago. No, absolutely not. Yep. Wait, there's coming a point where we're going to ask why millionaire is a word. It's just going to be silly, right? Your kids grow up, they're going to be like, why did you guys talk about millionaires? It'd be like us talking about thousandaires or something. It just doesn't, it doesn't mean anything because of what we're doing. So I don't think we have a crash coming. I mean, I think it would be good for us if we did. I'll say that. It would be devastating. There'd be a lot of people that would go through hardships. I'm not hoping, I'm not enjoying the pain, but it's one of those things that you got to let the economy sleep. You have to let bad ideas go out. We've got into this really bad habit that every time it's time for bed, we shoot ourselves up with drugs. I'm worried more that the dollar is going to lose its value. So you want to earn, I'm looking at the counter as I want to own hard assets like real estate, as opposed to have a bunch of money in the bank that's becoming worth less. Yep. Yeah. So I totally agree with you and, you, and you're one of the reasons why I have said some of the things that, that I feel about it, because I don't know, I don't claim to know, I, nobody really knows, but yeah. I really do believe that it owning real estate will be the only way, right? And that's the, that's the challenging part, is that the, the spread between the haves and the have-nots is just going to continue. We will become a nation of renters, which on one hand helps the real estate investors, but that's not how a thriving nation actually works, right? And I don't yeah. want that. I don't want people to be poor. So- it's a uh, it's really interesting dynamic. I'm curious about the short-term rental aspect of this. I'm not about if the short-term rentals are going to crash the market. I'm more I'm more asking, do you think that I don't think this is going to happen, so I'll preface it with that. Do you think that, you know, a bunch of jurisdictions around the country are going to crack down on them? And the reason why I don't think that is happening is because I think traditional vacation rental markets thrive on the tourism and hospitality based on that and I think they'll still want it. Maybe there'll be more restrictions, but I don't think places like Florida, where people have been vacationing for 60 years or 60, like hundreds of years, is going to change significantly. Maybe you see otherwise or think it's, it's funny that the answer to this question is similar to the one of the crash that Kiyosaki called for. Like Before we created quantitative easing, I would have agreed with the Kiyosakis and the Peter Schiff's that were like, hey... We're going to have a crash because all things being even, we should have. It just, I didn't see it coming that they could just print a bunch of money to avoid the crash. Like, okay, touche. We actually had a thriving economy during COVID when we should have had a massive depression because all of our productivity went down. With the short-term rental thing, you sort of have to predict what the politicians are going to do. And that's what's tricky, right? We're looking at this capitalistically, logically, like looking at supply and demand, that's how capitalism works. But then you have these interesting sort of dynamics where that area, St. Petersburg, decides we don't like short-term rentals. It doesn't match for the voting block. And if the mayor doesn't discontinue them, they don't get voted in. They're going to vote for the next person that comes in and says, I'm getting rid of short-term rentals, okay? People do it anyway down there, by the way, too. So it's like a whole other thing. But yeah, I was just making that up as examples. That actually did they? Oh yeah, they have a thirty days. They have a thirty day rule in St. Petersburg. You can't have. Funny. Can't have, yeah. So, so it's but but you go on and like there's all these on. So the people do it anyway, right? And that was for a long time. I kind of gave that advice, like yeah, your odds of getting caught aren't that big. Well, what they started doing in Maui was they actually created a code enforcement division that goes around looking for that. That goes and sees if you have people going into your property and they take pictures of it. And it's a ten thousand dollar a day fine. They got serious in that area. But that's because the residents of Maui do not like outside mainlanders coming in and buying their real estate and jacking up the prices because when the property can be Airbnb, it becomes worth more. So you're now not only having to run your numbers, understand supply and demand, have sound business principles, sound economic understanding. Now you got to be a politician too. 
Now, now you said I have to like try to guess what's the political environment like of this area, which makes answering that question tough. But it, that's why it's so important is you have to be thinking it. Um, when I went through this whole thing, I saw areas where I thought I could get a higher ROI, but I had to balance that with the risk of the city coming in and saying, don't do it. And I ended up putting like 80% of my capital that had allocated towards short-term rentals into the Smoky Mountains. Now, they're not crushing it. I'm not probably doing what you're doing in Tampa. But I felt like, man, if I'm going to dump $15 million into an, an asset class, I don't think that they're ever going to ban them in the Smokies. That their entire industry is based on that. I felt really good about it. So in my head, even though the return was lower, it, if I owned it for 10, 20 years, it would end up being a more profitable investment because the risk of having it shut down wasn't there. Yep, totally. And the reason, let, let me preface this by saying you were actually one of the reasons why I did what I did in Tampa and I was not even expecting it to do as well. I didn't care. I wanted it to break even. I wanted to buy in an, up in an area that was going to be, I, I just saw the growth. They're building $10 million homes down the block. I didn't buy a $10 million home, okay? But they're building all of these, uh, you know, new construction, uh, restaurants. It's all filling in. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to bet on the appreciation of the property. I know mm -hmm. people say not to do that, but it's also a lifestyle play. I can go down there. I can visit it. If I break even, the appreciation is going to kill it for me. So what you're saying really, David, is the expectation. Like, what is your expectation? Are you going to, and we know somebody like um, Mike Elefante who crushes it in short-term rentals. Now he has a lot of 3% interest rates from 2020 and 2021. So he's able to do that. But my expectation is not to make seven thousand dollars a month in cash flow on a on a property. Like, and I think that people need to think that way. Can you have a property that breaks even, makes a couple hundred dollars a month, and that is in a great area that you can go visit that that also you think is going to appreciate? I feel like that's maybe a better way to look at it. Could you rent it as a midterm rental? Could you rent it as a long term rental? Typically, the answer is maybe not long term, but it's all about like where your assets are allocated and can you get away with it. So. Just maybe parlaying off what you said, I feel like the expectation has to be lowered a little bit if you're going to get and, and having a, what I like about what you're describing here is you're taking a long term view. Just like I'm constantly trying to fight against the people that say, I want to buy real estate. I have no money, no cash, no job, no life, no skills, no credit. Like you shouldn't be buying it. I'm also trying to fight against the people that say, I analyze for cash flow in year one, and that's as far as I look. You're not going to own the property for 30 years. I get that that property in Gary, Indiana looks like it has a 15% cash on cash return, which is much better than the 2% you thought you were going to get in Tampa. And so then people say, I'm going to go buy these cheap houses because the return looks better. Well, the rent's going to go up like maybe two bucks a year in Gary, Indiana, if it goes up at all, right? Yeah. What are rents going to be doing in Tampa as more people move there, as they develop the area, as a higher percentage of the population goes there and jobs go there and wages start to increase? It's a very different dynamic. You fast forward five years, 10 years, Tampa rents have probably doubled or tripled. Whereas the ones in Indiana have maybe got up 10%. It's it Now you have a better ROI on what looked like the worst investment because you only analyzed it from year one, which is how most of the gurus are teaching you yep. to do it. So let's say you bought in Tampa and in 10 years, somehow Florida comes and says, nope, no more short-term rentals. Well, rent increases during those 10 years would have got to the point that it is going to cash flow as a traditional rental, right? So in your worst case scenario, it's not as good as it could have been, but it's still something that you're not losing. And I think people need to have that perspective as real estate investing becomes a little more nuanced and tricky. There's a lot more competition. It used to be as simple as find, run it through a spreadsheet or a calculator, get a double digit ROI, buy it, move on to the next one. 
right? Now we have to move from playing checkers into chess. We have to be thinking a little bit deeper about these things. And that's why you want to be in either a mastermind or, or listening to you guys or listening to other people that are thinking deeper than just the very simple way that investing was taught 10 years ago. Totally agree. So I got one for you, fun one. Let's say you, uh, tomorrow, something crazy happened where you had to start back at zero and you're you're starting at a complete goose egg from where you are now. What would you do? And the reason I'm asking this is because there's a lot of people that are starting day one. They have nothing. They're just trying to get their financial house in order. How would you pick up the pieces to catch back up to where you are today, if not better, um, in today's current market? Ooh, the first thing that I would do is I wouldn't focus on real estate. I would focus on a business. I would ask, if I knew I wanted to build wealth within real estate, what do the wealthy real estate investors need done, right? So the things that I recognize that I need in my business would be a really good short-term rental property manager, because it's very hard to find good ones. A bookkeeper and a CPA, very hard to find good ones. Though wealthy people benefit a lot from having a CPA more than poor people. So if you become a good CPA at helping people save money in taxes, you're going to attract wealthy people. That is going to attract money. Once I developed expertise in something that wealthy people could benefit from, like the stuff we just mentioned, I would start earning more money. Then I would start investing that in the same asset classes as those wealthy people were putting their money into. I would be in the room with the discussions that people that are making a couple million a year and they're trying to figure out how do they keep that money? How do they protect it? Like you notice that once you get into the higher levels of people that make money, they're worried way more about preserving wealth than just creating it. They're thinking a completely different game, yep. right? Like those, those of us that are new at this are like, well, what's the cash flow? I, I just hate my job. I don't want to work. They're asking the wrong questions. Wealthy people aren't saying that. They're saying, okay, where could I put this that it's going to not lose money if there is a recession? Okay, like beachfront property in South Florida. Is that very likely to lose value over a 20-year period of time? No, it's not going to lose value. The only a aspect that could change is like some sort of weather event. But the but the funny thing about that is that all the wealthy people are still buying that property. So there's well, got to be something it. telling you something. That's, yeah. that's exactly right. They're not thinking like, I want to go buy in Gary, Indiana because I need to quit my job. The minute they get out of that, I don't want to work hard. I don't want to have to do things I don't like. I just want to be entitled. Your brain rewires and recalibrates and sees angles that you were missing. And what's funny, I remember talking to Brandon Turner about this when I was first starting to explore this heretical idea that cash flow might not be the only thing that matters. Like we had always been taught. I was like, you know what, dude, what would happen if we bought a mansion in Malibu for like $10 million, but it lost $10,000 a year or $12,000 a year, right? So it's bleeding a thousand bucks a month. But like five years later, it's guaranteed to be worth significantly more money. It's going to be worth like 12 or $13 million, right? I would lose 12 grand a year for five years at 60 grand, which everyone would say, don't buy the real estate to make two to $3 million over time. It is obviously an amazing investment, but it doesn't even occur to you that that's a possibility to get into when you're just thinking through the, the lens of cash flow. That's not how wealthy people think. They are buying primary residences that are scarce resources in constricted supply areas where demand's going to be increasing. And they're not, they're not ignoring cash flow. They're not only looking at cash flow. And that's because they have cash flow from their businesses and they live beneath their means. And so they have reserves. They can afford to lose a thousand dollars a month on this investment because they're saving 20 grand a month from all the other stuff that they do. They really, 
exposes how short-sighted the real estate investing community tends to be because they're learning everything from TikTok and Instagram and these free resources. Awesome. Well, we could talk to you for hours. I want to wind down the show. I have a new question that uh, we've been asking and um, I've kind of liked the responses I'm getting. So I'm going to ask it again. What is one trait or habit that you've developed recently? It doesn't have to be recently. It could be over the past 10 years that has made a big impact on your business, personal life, investments, your overall well-being. Man, this is going to surprise you guys when I tell you. This is like a corner I just recently turned, and I'm trying to pick up momentum in this. And I haven't thought about how to articulate it, so I realize it might sound offensive. I'm, I'm definitely trying not to. So give me some grace if I say That's that. fine. No worries. I heard the sentiment from the Simon Senecs of the world that were telling me, millennials need a purpose. You have to give them a reason to care. They have to find a reason to work for your company. And I, I was constantly listening to these feel-good business gurus that were telling me, you have to treat your employees well. You have to mentor people. You have to guide them. And for six, seven years, I was just hiring people, giving them tons of money, and they were committing the functional equivalent of stealing it. They were not doing their job. And I was trying to coach them up, train them, guide them, be patient, be the best boss ever with this belief that if I did what I was supposed to do, they were going to step up and do their job. And then it wouldn't work and I'd be unhappy and I'd be bitter and I'd go do the same thing again with the next person. And my business coaches were telling me, you got to stop doing this. And I just found new excuses to keep doing it, right? I can't tell you exactly why I struggled with this, but I will say that I almost everyone I know is having the same problem. All the people running real estate teams or media teams or any form of like personal business that gets good with clients ends up struggling with hiring. The, t the corner that I turned was I just stopped caring about the dreams of the people that I was hiring and I started caring about my clients. Like I realized that most of us in my companies, we were trying to take care of our employees. I want them to be happy. I want to help them meet their goals. Let me create a system that's easier for them. Let me do part of their job for them. Let me give them coaching. But I was doing that at the expense of our clients. I just didn't think about, you're not actually protecting anything good when you protect your employees at the expense of the service that the customer should be. I should be thinking about them. How do I make sure they get the best service? And then when I started thinking about it like that, I started holding the employees accountable more. Hey, they said you haven't called them back three times in a row. Why is that okay? Well, oh, well, you know, I was burned out. I was stressed. All those things that they used to tell me, and I'm like, oh, you're stressed out. Take a day off. Now I'm like, okay, well then quit. Because that client doesn't care if you're stressed out. They need to know if they should write this offer or not. They need to know if they're going to use us as their loan company or not. Like, if you don't like this job, that's fine. Go work at Starbucks where you won't be burned out and stressed and you'll make $8 an hour. But these are the big boys. It's okay to be a little bit stressed out because they're even more stressed out than you are. That's where we need to be thinking about. And so I'm making a lot of big changes. I'm uh, changing the company that I was contracted with to do my bookkeeping. I'm hiring my own bookkeeper. I'm changing the property managers that I've been dealing with that keep giving me excuse after excuse for why revenue's not where it should be. Hired my own person. He's going to take over the portfolio. I'm going to tell him what to do. If he, if he runs out of ideas to increase revenue, he doesn't execute. I'm putting another person in there. It seems wrong that I'm even saying it out loud. Like it seems selfish to say that. But since I've adopted that mentality, everything is going better. And then what happens is the other people that work for me are seeing that's happening. And what do you know? They're not stressed out and burnt out anymore. They find ways to get it done. They're not leaving early. They're not making excuses. 
I think it might be an indication of the last 10 years has been so hard to find anyone that wanted to work that we got used to really bad performance and now people are getting laid off. The economy is getting tougher. It's getting harder and harder to make what used to be easy money. And you can expect a little bit more from the people that you're paying. So that makes me feel really good. And this is a very timely answer to this question. So thanks for asking this question. But Corey and I were actually talking about this the other day and uh, we've hired a lot of different people for a lot of different things. And I have this in my brain or maybe it's just who I am. Like I have this demand for excellence or, and, and, and like, I don't want to call myself a perfectionist, but you, I know how well I would do something and how much time, effort and care I'd put into it. And he's like, dude, you're just not going to get that level of care elsewhere. And it's, it's just been this battle for me where it's like, I'm going to take on more and, and, and try to like take the weight off of someone else because I know I can do it better. And to me, I'm of the same mindset as you, dude. Like, I'm sick of the bullshit. Like, if you can't can't run with me, then see you later. Like, I'm done. Because it's you're wasting your valuable time on this earth trying to slow yourself down when you're... I, I don't know how to really, like, vocalize this, but it's almost like me having to take two steps back to retrain you and talk you through something that I've already learned how to do is just bringing me back down where I could be five steps ahead. So it is a, it's like this weird... It's a strange balance, and it goes back to the conversation of hiring certain people, but... At some point, you have to let go, and you you have to go find that better person, even though it's going to take some effort. We always like, well, we have one, two, three interviews, but it's like, dude, let's have 10 interviews. Maybe we will find that one extra person that actually is going to give a shit like we do. And we, I think back to like all the previous episodes that we've heard about real estate investing, like you'll, there is going to be someone that wants to get in the game bad enough where they'll do the work at your level and your pace or, or just wants to keep up with you because they want to learn and they want the life that you've provided yourself. So- there's a lot there, and I I do appreciate that because there's a back at least in W two world here, I've heard a lot of um it's preached culture 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 and it's take care of your people take care of your employees and it used to be back in the day customers always right or customers first right and so it's completely flipped and we've gotten yep. soft I will totally say that. everyone's got a participation trophy and I know there's it's just it's a dicey balance here I don't want to say anything off cue because there's a lot of things that come into play with outside factors like a lot of mental health things these days and like Mm -hmm. outside factors affecting people right in different ways than they have before but there is a laziness that i have seen and when you're trying to run your own show and trying to like pave your own path in this world and and you realize how finite your hours are i don't know what it is when when certain people wake up maybe it's sometimes it's having a kid sometimes you go through some some really bad stuff in your life but you wake up you're just like, dude, I, you're either with me or you got to just just catch up, Shit, grab the tail because I'm going. So I appreciate you bringing it up. I don't think it's talked about enough. I think it's shamed quite often. Uh, you're looked at like you're the bad guy or that it's this is a toxic work environment or we're being abusive. But to clarify, I'm talking about, hey, I need this person to get this short-term rental ready for guests, okay? And I'm like, hey, what I'm going to need you to do is go to the house and see if it has everything that you would need if you were there. And then they don't even look to see if it's going to have towels. They don't think to make sure that there's internet set up, even though they know all my other houses have internet. They've actually been in charge of getting the internet set up. And when I'm like, hey, we're supposed to launch. We don't have these things. Their reply was, oh, you didn't tell me to do that. Like that, I, for years, I just let that, yeah, it's my fault. I should have told you to do it. But it becomes this trap where that can become an excuse for everything. Well, you didn't show me how to do it. You didn't You didn't call the cable company with me and let me listen to you talk on the phone. But you know what? If they bought a house that they moved into or they rented a new place, they would give, figure out how to get the internet turned on for themselves. They absolutely know how to do it. They just don't want to. 
and it became excuses. And I got sucked into thinking that extreme ownership was going around and doing everyone's job for them and just trusting they were going to do better. I've lost hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on employees that just took the paycheck, didn't do the work that they were supposed to do, didn't do the job they would have done if it was happening in their own life. And now I'm seeing like extreme ownership is doing everything I can to protect the business or the client or the guests that are going to stay at the house, the people that are actually bringing in the revenue. You got to pedestalize them. The people staying at your short-term rental are the things that really, they got to be happy. Your employee that complains, oh, why they don't know how to turn on the Wi-Fi again. I'm going to give them attitude because I'm in a bad mood. That's not okay, right? They're not the ones that should ever be getting the attitude. If your employee has a bad attitude about it, we shouldn't be paying them. Let's put a person in there that's happy to be able to get that phone call. Totally. Yeah, and I also think that's why when you find the people that you can go to war with and you can trust that you keep them at all costs. And if those people are too good and outgrow you, then good, right? That's what they were meant to do. But taking care of those people that do that are on the ride for you, that do show up, the A players, like finding yeah. them is so hard. You got to respect and appreciate and love them when you have them. And I think that, cause you can't go, you can't do it all yourself, David. Like that's why you brought the person in house to run your right. show. Like, you know, that person's an A player, you know, they're going to get it done. I'm sure that person's pretty appreciative of all that you've given them, whether it's dollars or other things. Right. So I, I think it's, I know you had something else here, but no, I, I agree. I it, It's, it's pretty much all encompassing. I, yeah. The last thing I'll say is like, these people are ambassadors of you and your brand. And like today that's really it's not all you have, but there's so much out there for between marketing and and putting yourself out there, right? Like your reputation is a very big thing. We have a digital resume, all this stuff, and like what people see is what they expect. And it's it's very interesting when you 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 know right away when you have maybe not right away, but early often when you didn't put the right person in, or you have someone pulling you back, you're like, dude, oh, it's worth the pain and the agony of getting them out quicker than letting it drag on longer because then you get in this vicious cycle of like, oh my God, I know I got to do this. You don't want to have the hard conversation. You don't want to get out. It's like, you got to clean slate because it's a reflection of you. And like, as we progress in all of our businesses and you, right? Like the demand for excellence is just, it just has to be there because of how much is riding on it. It's almost like you built this army up, right? And like, you can't have, or you build the boat, if you will. And if you have the the hole in it and all the water leaks out, you guys, or all the water fills in, you're going down altogether. It can just take one little crack to capsize the whole boat. So I did want to bring that up or did want to touch on that because I think that's very important to bring up. We have not chatted enough about it. And I think a lot of people hide from it. So appreciate it. It's not you. popular. No one gets views. What they want to hear is someone say, yeah, that's right. My boss should treat me better. My boss should give me more. It's always easy to point the finger at someone, but your boss could do all of that. And if the employees are all holes in the boat, the whole company sinks and no one has any money. They're all going to be unemployed. And I think as we head into a rougher economic environment, you're going to see more of that. I'm having people reaching out to me and they're like, hey, like I'm losing my job. I thought you said you had the best job ever. You only worked two hours a day and you were remote and you had everything automated and you you could work on real estate all the time because you didn't need to do the work. Yeah, my boss figured out that they didn't need me because I was only working two hours a day. Yep. They let me go, right? What was a flex, I went to the gym every day and I didn't have to lift the weights, is now becoming a problem. It was only a flex because we lived in this environment with economic stimulus where people were doing really well because money was changing hands so frequently. Now, the good news is if you're hearing this, there's no competition to work hard. Very few people are showing up every day and trying. So if you're the person that listens to what we're saying here and steps up your game, you become the A player, you get the opportunities. There's way less competition. Like, you ever wonder how like certain immigrants come into our country and just blow us away? 
You seen that? Yes, I've met a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like, third world countries. They come here and they outperform people that have speak the language better than them and understand the culture better. They dominate. It's because they don't have that idea that they're entitled to something. Where they came from, there was no opportunity, so they're like, "I'm just going to crush it." Right? Anybody who takes that attitude, I believe, will have that same level of success. Mm. Totally. Last question for us, David. We've asked you this before. It was two and a half years ago, so I'm curious if the answer is the same. I don't even remember actually what the answer was, but. What do you do it all for? I'm curious about whether it's a legacy thing or your why. Like, what is the reason that you have the fire, that you get out of bed every morning? You've built, you just talked about multiple businesses. You could sit on a beach all day if you want to. Obviously, that's not you. What is the purpose? Why? What gets you out of bed every morning? The people that are frustrated that are listening to us right now, that maybe they're making 45 grand a year, they see that other people are more successful. They want it, but they don't know what to do to get there. I used to be that person. I was very low confidence, didn't have a good relationship with my dad, didn't think much of myself. And I was just waiting for someone to find me and give me a chance. Like, can't someone just see something in me and be like, I'm betting on that kid. They, they have the it factor. Very few people did. There was a small number of people that believed in me, but it made such a big difference. Uh, one of them was Tim Rode, and he gave me a job for him, cold calling, basically looking for people that were heading into default. He encouraged me to get my license. He encouraged me to get out of being a cop. I had no idea I was going to end up where I am. Tim's belief literally brought me out of, I'd still be working 100 hours a week as a cop, probably 50 pounds heavier than I am right now, like miserable, just doing the only thing that I knew. I had all this ambition, but I didn't know how to put it into drive. I think all of us that went through pain earlier in life have a soft spot in our heart for other people that are the same thing, Right. Adopted people who grew up in foster care, they really have a heart for young kids. People that went through trauma when they were younger, they tend to want to help people who went through something similar. Mine was that lack of confidence, and I didn't think I was going to be much, but I had this crazy ambition that I wanted to. I'm speaking to those people every day. The one who's like showing up every day and they're sweeping the warehouse floor to the best of their ability, and hopefully they hear this and they say, you know what, I could go ask my boss for a raise and because I sweep the floor so good, I'll probably figure out that other job too. And once I got that down, if there's no more raises to be gotten, I should go find a different bigger warehouse or a different job and my work ethic can maintain when I get into that place. I just want to help more of those people that desperately want more in life and are willing to provide value to the world to get it. That's the ones that I want to see become su successful. I don't need any more of these 19-year-olds that are DMing me and saying, hey, you ever try an email campaign? Hit me up and I'll grow your following. And they've got like 14 followers of their own. Like those people that are looking for the way around the hard work, I've just had enough of it. Like we keep hyping them up like they're smart because they're using AI to do their job. They're not. They're lazy. They think that they've outsmarted the world. We need more people that want to do a really good job so that when we want to buy real estate, when we want to hire a cleaning company to get the place ready for our clients, when we want to have an answering service, whatever we need to make the guest experience better, we've got better talent that's in those positions to provide it, and then they deserve to get the money. Most real answer we've had in a long time. So thank you so much um, for, for coming on, for coming back on. I, I, I just always enjoy the conversations with you. If people want to learn more about you, maybe one of they join your mastermind, they want to purchase your book, which is out now. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you, David? They should definitely go to SpartanLeague.com, check out the mastermind. They could go to DavidGreen24.com and kind of see a little bit of everything that I have going on. They can get the book at BiggerPockets.com slash pillars. And I hope that you do. 
I really think that this book is going to kind of create a whole new movement of the people that grab a hold of it. It's going to be sold at airports and Barnes and Nobles. It's going to be everywhere. And then they can follow me online on Instagram or wherever they like their social media at David Green 24. Perfect. David, we always get fired up having a conversation with you. This was awesome. One of my favorites in a long time. So thanks again for coming back on and uh, we look forward to staying in touch. Thanks guys. Keep fighting the good fight. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Weekly Juice Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and share with friends. The more ratings we get, the more ears we'll get on our show. And in turn, we'll be able to provide you with more high-quality guests. You can also find us on Instagram at Weekly Juice Pod, where we post daily tips and tricks and document our own journey towards financial freedom. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday to get your weekly juice.